Chapter 28 of On. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kendra Hurst. On by Hilaire Belloc. On the Melting of the Ice. I wish I had been there when the ice melted, and the days when the great river valleys were formed, when the rich meadows were laid down from the mud of the flooded rivers, and when the gravels were rolled along, forming beaches one below the other as the waters subsided, when northern Europe was carved. Men were there and saw it. Some say it was so little a while ago that the great monarchies of the hot places, Egypt and Assyria, were in their splendor, and there is something to be said for that saying. It was an Englishman, spontaneous, individual, but at the same time exact, who started that hair. And the hair may be more than a phantasm. When you read the arguments, it looks as though he were right, and if he were right, what an explanation of history, the ice melting but five or six thousand years ago. Then indeed could we explain how it is that the North was unheard of during all these early centuries, and how it was that an increasing field, increasingly breeding men, expanded towards the North, and how it is that you have no records of the North before the first movements of tribes three thousand years ago, and their greater movement two thousand years ago, and then at last the very late story of the brief Scandinavian adventure with its marvelous epics. And it would explain also the very small number of the North and the way in which the North got its language so largely from the South. For what we call the Teutonic languages today, of which we have no appreciable record till around Charlemagne's time, turn out to be, for half their matter at least, and research will increase the proportion, built up of words from the Mediterranean. Read Weiner, his revolutionary book and the collapse of the early Gothic fraud. But apart from what it would explain in history, what a vision it must have been whenever it took place, for the melting of the ice was very rapid. The geologists do not always use their eyes. Look at those great scoops in the chalk hills shorn out by the water as it swung from left to right through the valleys, and see those enormous floods racing down. See how those huge stones were rolled along which formed the gravel of the higher levels, and ask yourself in what a current they drove. Or wonder at the great songs through the rock which unite and drain the old lakes of the Pyrenees. That was a sight to see. It is just possible that someone recorded it. Some traveler, thrust up northward by exile or by avarice, may have come with his slaves and his retinue to the edges of the enormous thing. He may have seen the Rhone tumbling like a sea, released through the gap of the Jura. Or he may have seen the white seething at the mouths of the river which laid down the Camargue. We see no such things nowadays. Imagine yourself in a galley, bowling westward under the Levantar, compelled to go further north than you had wished, the wind dropping. Then you are hanging about all night off the coast of what is now the St. Mary's and then at morning, hearing with fright, but with wonder, on your starboard beam to the north, the enormous noise of waters, and seeing the flecks of foam go by you, and catching on the horizon a sort of low tumble or cataract or flood reaching the sea over twenty miles of beach, and carrying with it half a country of stones from the hills. There the stones are to this day, a vast plain of sterile pebbles from a fist to a pea. The ancients said that Hercules once passed that way. Or think what it must have been to stand on the vento, and see the melting of the ice from the Auvergne, or to stand driven upward onto the hills of the Artois, and to see the waters rising in the Dover Strait below. For the thing went very quickly, make no doubt of that. There is a superstition from the moment in favor of slow, very slow changes in the affairs of this earth. I think that superstition has arisen from a muddle-headed hope that slow work can exclude a creator and will. At any rate, there is no proof for it. Some of the processes have been very slow. They are exceedingly slow today. But some jerks have been rapid enough, revolutionary, catastrophic, and the last melting of the ice was of these. And what do you suppose happened in the splendid valleys of Norway? 
Today they are drowned. What recession of the ice filled them more full? How did man come to occupy the land released? During what intermission of time, during what generations, few and creative, did the tall fair race, for a moment wanderers, build their little simple structures of a religion which we know so little, because what we have of it is wholly intermixed with the Roman, and of a language which we know still less, for that also is mixed with the South, but at any rate of a special culture common to but a few thousand men? How came these Scandinavians to copy Roman ships? It all came after the melting of the ice. Then I asked myself what men saw, and what they felt as they saw the waterfalls. For those marked all Europe also, glaciers we know today, but we have to imagine them expanded, and the landscape is the same. Stand on the Maldetta, and conceive the field of ice holding not only the shoulder of the mountain, but all the valley below, and out to the plain of France, and you only have the replica of what a man may see from Mont Blanc. Or stand on an alpine peak, and imagine the sheets of ice and snow below you, spread, covering every rock for as far as the eye can reach, and you only have a repetition of what men still see in Greenland. But we have no modern parallel, save in perhaps half a dozen places on the whole earth, by which to reconstruct the enormity of the waterfalls of those days. For there were not only these swirling waters carving out the great valleys, there was the thundering of water down over the ledges, thousand upon thousand. Perhaps they helped to scoop out the smaller lakes more than did the ice before them. There must have been some such sight above Grenoble, when the great lake which burst seven hundred years ago was forming. For in the beginning that lake basin on which Borg de Ossins now stands must have been a mass of ice, and then as the ice melted, and as the glacier above it melted all the way up to La Grave, up to the very shoulders of the Pelveau, what mighty armies of water must have roared down to the trench of the Israe? And wherever there is today a gorge, or, at least, in the most of these cuttings, you must have had the same sight. Their little dwindling descendants now and then show a trickle of water for our amusement, and we are still astonished. But the grandfathers of these were giants. They say also that the sea rose. It may have done so. Perhaps it must have done so. And if it did so, what a sight must that also not have been, the cutting of the straits. I have read but one part of the world in which a tradition remains of such a change, and in that case it may have been an earthquake rather than a rising of the waters. I mean the Straits of Messina. Of the water flooding in here there is a legend, but there is none remaining of the cutting of the chalk between Kent and the Artois, or of the flooding, if it were flooded, of the channel between the Pillars of Hercules, or of the slower lap which gradually just covered the entrances of the Baltic, a freshwater lake. And by the way, what made that most amazing issue whereby the Black Sea feeds the eastern Mediterranean with a continuous stream? I have read so many guesses, and they have not satisfied me. It is so long, so narrow, so artificial, and double at that. Very changed would the history of the world have been, of the modern world, if nature had played some freak of the same sort to join the Central Atlantic and the Central Pacific Seas, or if the low sand between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean had not run dry, or if by some shock the Mediterranean had poured into the Jordan Valley. There is much else in the melting of the ice. Was it then that northern Africa dried up? Was it then that the old watercourses, which are now desert, and in which you can still find proof of the habitations of men, and the stranded beasts and fishes of old rivers, were in full spate? Who lived there? What did they in the story of mankind? And did Egypt, when it was already able to build and to carve men out of stone, look out from the head of the delta upon a shallow sea? I think the greater part of the story of the world's landscape has been lost to us forever. End of chapter 28 Recording by Kendra Hurst